God's presence is here, isn't it? I'm telling you, we are so blessed to be able to worship with a team like this, amen? And uh, yeah, let's give them a hand, give God a hand. Um, I don't wanna ever take that lightly that we get to experience God like that together. And I, and I think that was a good word, right? We, we don't wanna just experience God, we wanna be transformed by God. And that's what he does, right? He's a God who transforms us, he renovates us, so that we can radiate, that we can shine the light of Jesus to the people around us. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in this series, Renovate and Radiate, and we've been in the book of Nehemiah. First week, we looked at God problems. What are the issues in our lives? For Nehemiah, he looked and learned that there was actually walls broken down 900 miles away that were keeping his people the people of God from being able to be protected, to receive the presence of God, the provision of God, as he engaged in prayer and heard from God, God birthed a vision. That vision landed him in front of a king. That king, who did not necessarily support God's people up to that moment, suddenly wrote the check and suddenly provided, and they began to move back some of the people to Jerusalem to do the work. Last week, you heard a message called All In. And I'm telling you, our church, God is doing something here. We have seen you responding and being all in, being the church, being the body of Christ. And it's amazing to, to see this already. And today as we dive in, I just wanna like share with you just something, we don't talk a lot about numbers around here. We don't want a numbers culture. But every week in our FYI, you can look at the numbers if you want to. If you're one of those that are like, I gotta know, I gotta know, that's where you'll find it. What I wanna do is be a part of a people who celebrate when we see the numbers, they represent lives. And that those numbers represent a move of God that is happening in our midst. So let me just share with you briefly a few of those numbers. I got asked this week by somebody that texted me, hey, what's going on at our church? What's our size? You wanna hear? <laughs> You're like, whatever. So the weekly attendance has been around 900 or so uh, for the last you know, month or so, about another 250 online. Uh, hey, online, we love you. Uh, we also have about 500 in weekly discipleship during the week, kids, youth, men's, women's, life groups, all the things. That's amazing, you guys. Amazing what God is doing with that. 
We've got about 230 on average weekly serving. And in all of that, there is life transformation happening. So last Sunday, during one of our services, I was able to meet with two of our people that have radical stories of God's transformation. In fact, this Tuesday at four o'clock, we're baptizing both of them. Like, we're not waiting for a church-wide baptism because God is doing something now in their lives. And as I met with them and walked them through baptism and heard their stories, one of them, uh, both are boomers, by the way. We're a multi-generational church, amen? Okay, so boomers, this two, two life change stories. You're never too old or too late for Jesus to do something. And it's never too early either, right? Gen Z, we alpha generation, I think, is the younger generation. We believe God can do them, uh, work in them as well. So these two stories, one of them uh, has been uh, for more than 40 years a part of the Muslim faith and has come to Jesus and is ready to share that with friends and family. And so again, if you're not doing anything Tuesday, come support, be a part of what God's doing. We'll be at JC Park at four o'clock on Tuesday, weather permitting. And it's paradise, so weather will permit, right? The second story is somebody of a similar age and stage that grew up in the Catholic faith, de-churched with a lot of church hurt, a lot of stuff that had happened to them by people. And then as they came back and saw who God is and who Jesus is, and as the people around them started to witness to that reality, he's given his life to the Lord and surrendered. And we get to baptize him on Tuesday too. Isn't that awesome? I mean, let's, let's celebrate what God is doing and the fact that he is moving and there is and are things to, to praise him about. Now, in this series, we've had three tools. We're gonna put them up for you that we wanna make sure you'd never miss. First is Ramsey Plus. If you're here for the first time today and you haven't heard about it or you've wasted the church's money by not signing up for an account yet. Oh, you didn't hear me tell you that? All of us, get Ramsey Plus for free. These cards are by the doors. There's a bundle of 10. We would ask that you activate your account. Don't waste our money, right? In there, you have Financial Peace University. You have the Every Dollar Premium app. You have tax software. And then there's 10 of these that you can then share with the Treasure Coast. Pray about it. Invite people. I've said it before. If you leave these for a server, leave a generous tip too, all right? Man, y'all are too serious today. <laughs> Second thing is our facility lifecycle plan. If you scan that QR code, it'll get you there. That's a, uh, really a detailed view of what is happening here at our facility. We're blessed with the building, but we've got a facility that's 22 years old, and we want you to be aware of where things need help. And we begin praying and believing for what God wants to do. And then the third is our Renovate and Radiate booklet. Every week there's an exercise that actually leads you deeper with what we're learning in the messages. So with that said, today the title is In It to Win It. Can you say that with me? In it to win it. What does it mean for you and I to be in it, if we're gonna be all in, to also win? And God's view and version of winning is often different than ours. Can I get an amen? And as we look at this, I need to actually step back from the book of Nehemiah to give you a broader biblical framework for this. And as you think about what does it mean to win, and, and as I said, it doesn't always look the way we think. I'm gonna take you back in memory lane for a minute. When I was in high school, 
I played a few sports, but one of my favorites was football. And I played three years of varsity football for my school. And uh, three of those years, I was, uh, all three, I was both sides of the ball, but I only started uh, on defense. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. It'll make sense in a minute. But, but I, I started uh, as a linebacker for three years. Uh, and in that, there was two years that I played on winning teams. Two years where I played on that defense and we had a winning team. In fact, both of those years, part of why we had a winning team was we had the best defense in our entire region. Take like a 90-mile or two-hour two, uh, you know, two radius, and we, we actually statistically had the best defense. Now, that was really great until we got to my senior year. And my senior year, we had the worst defense. Everybody had graduated but me and a couple of my buddies and I'm telling you, we went from holding teams to like from six points a game to like giving up a couple games 50-some. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really competitive. So that was hard. And I'll tell you what, that year winning wasn't in the statistics. It wasn't in the wins and losses. It was in the character development that at my young age, God started to put in me, humbling me, my teammates around me beginning to grow. You see, when we go through adversity, there's a way to win in it. There's a way that God shows up and actually we can win even though it doesn't look like we're winning yet. You see, when we go back throughout scripture, John 10, 10 says this. It says that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus says, have come or came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There's two important realities there. One is that we have an enemy that is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And many of us know that, right? It may not be a football field for you, but it's the battlefield of life. And you've been losing some ground because you know there's an enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Anybody? But Jesus says, listen, I've come to bring abundant life. And, and one of the places that we begin to see what that abundant life looks like in scripture is actually in the book of Ephesians. I'm gonna just give you a, a, an overview. Again, I gotta set the context so you understand biblically and theologically what we're gonna look at in Nehemiah. So let me walk you through this. In the book of Ephesians, a man named Paul that had been radically against Christ's church has a transformation. He's now following Jesus and making him known and he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, a church that has been given the power over death and over this enemy, but is also an experiencing blowback at times and warfare all around them. So in, in Ephesians 1, as he writes this letter, it's such an encouraging book, by the way. So I'm gonna do this in like two or three minutes. I would encourage you to read it this week, okay? So Ephesians 1, he says, this is who Jesus is. This, this is our sovereign Lord and Savior. He gives thanks. He gives gratitude. He upholds the supremacy of Christ. That no matter what is happening in our world, Jesus is king and over it all. Can I get an amen? In Ephesians 2, he then says, listen, here's the gospel. This Jesus actually has done what you couldn't do. Your works are filthy rags. He doesn't say it that way. That's elsewhere in scripture. But, but he says, your works aren't gonna be enough. It's only by faith alone that you and I are saved. 
And when we're saved, we then learn that we're his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance. He says, then all of the walls that divide Jew and Gentile, all of the walls that divided us between God and ourself and our sin have been broken down. Like that's really good news in a divided, dark world that God has made a way. And so then in Ephesians 3, Paul, you can almost picture him hitting his knees as he writes it and and saying, I need to pray for you because in the middle of that good news, you're going to have to go through some stuff and face some stuff. So as he prays, he reminds them that, listen, God's going to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you can imagine. Come on, church. And and then he says, and here's what it's going to look like. So chapters four through six, you ready? Giddy up. Chapter four, he says, I'm going to give gifts to the church. You're all going to have spiritual gifts. You're going to begin to operate in them to build up the body of Christ. As you do that, you're also going to have to live as a new creation. And here's what character looks like and doesn't look like. Chapters four and five are so practical. It deals with all of the issues that show up when you leave. Like you're, you're behaving really well right now at church. But you know you're jacked up. And you know when you leave here, you're gonna make a little mistake here and there and things are gonna happen because life's gonna happen and, oh, nobody else? So, so he deals with all of that, right? And he says, listen, here's what it actually looks like to live for me, to set aside sin, to, to be the person I've created you to be. He then gets even into marriage and this idea of here's what a husband and wife should do and be and look like. And by the way, that's an example of the church, Jesus' bride. And then we get to chapter six. And it's actually in chapter six that you would think he'd put like the cherry on top and say, hey, that's the abundant life. Go get them, have fun. Everything's gonna be up into the right and great. No, he actually says, hold up, wait a minute. Let me tell you, what's about to happen, because you're gonna experience some warfare. You're gonna experience some things, because that enemy that I told you came to steal, kill, and destroy, he's still out there till Jesus returns. So let me read to you Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. It says, finally be strong in the Lord, and in the strength, give me just a second, finally be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of his might, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So he says that to them. He's wanting them to understand that, listen, Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is able but you're also gonna experience some stuff. There's a theologian, Herman Hoeksma, that says this. He says, the relationship between Christ's power over all things and his sovereignty over the church is such that he employs the former to the preservation and salvation of the latter. He's saying, listen, Jesus is so supreme and so great that he's gonna work in our lives and work in the church to preserve us, to allow us to win it, even when it doesn't seem like we are, that's really good news for somebody today. Really good news that he is able. 
You see, as Christians, as Christians, Christ followers, the supremacy of Christ is, the, is our safety and our security. Everything can be breaking loose around us and going absolutely crazy. But because we have this with him, because we know who he is, that is our safety and security. So Nehemiah faced some opposition. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, if you're watching on the screen, that works too. He's, they've begun rebuilding, and actually in chapter four, we see some of the warfare, some of the opposition that begins to happen. We're gonna pick up right at the beginning of chapter four. It says, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. So now one is heckling and the other's gonna pick it up. You with me? He was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, it, it will break down their stone wall. Remember that because we'll see later what was the truth about that statement later in this series. That's an important statement. Now, here's, here's Nehemiah's response in the middle of the opposition, in the mis- middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the warfare that he's experiencing. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads. You ever prayed that prayer? <laughs> You're not telling the truth. <laughs> Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from their sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So what did they do? Did they give up? Did they fold? Did they just let it all go and say, oh, it's too hard. People are making fun of us. They're persecuting us. No. It says actually, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. You say work? But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashidites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Sometimes we don't realize that the warfare behind that person that's opposing us also has a spiritual component, an enemy, that's using them to try to get us off track, get us discouraged, get us divided, get us away from doing the very work and fulfilling the purpose that God has called us to. It says, and when we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So as we unpack this today, first off, when the battle intensifies, the battle was intensifying for Nehemiah, You're gonna have a battle. You might be in it now. If not, follow Jesus and it's coming because it will happen. Scripture teaches and shows us that. So when it intensifies, we must be more intentional to win it. That word intentional is critical. There are things that have to change and Nehemiah demonstrates it. 
right? He demonstrates an intentionality with the intensity around him. Rather than trying to engage in all of it all the time, which would wear him out, which is part of what the enemy was trying to do, he gets really intentional. There's a couple of things we see there if you're taking notes. The first, the enemy uses anger, fear, distraction, and discouragement to create doubt and division. Sanballat, Tobiah, the others. Actually, in verses one through three, it says that he was angry. There's a progression of this because we saw Sanballat earlier in Nehemiah 2. He had got bitter and angry. Now he's at a place of rage. You ever met somebody who just seems to go from zero to 60 and then zero to 100, and you're like, whoa. Okay, it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it can, but more times than not, there's a buildup. And here's, here's Sanballat demonstrating an anger that the enemy is using. Some of us need to deal with our anger inside right now. Some of us need to pursue God and pursue maybe a good counselor to work through some healing, to allow bitterness and, and things to be rooted out of our life so we don't become a tool of the enemy. Because that anger began to overtake him and he began to act out. The enemy was using him to cause the people to be afraid and try to distract them and get them off course. Maybe you're experiencing that, right? Sometimes it's through social media. I mean, anybody else know like social media is filled with a whole lot of stuff and no filter? And if that's your place to vent, let me ask you as a Christ follower to stop and to find a better place to vent. Like if you need a barf bag, I'll buy you one. And you can just barf into that thing all your, but don't put it out to the public because that is causing even more. And it's a distraction and a discouragement for so many to what God might be doing. So as the enemy uses those things, we need to be aware of them and we need to be intentional. In their lives, what that might've looked like, if you think about it, is they're, they're building, they're, they're using bricks to do you know, the things, right? They're, they're building the wall, and as they're doing that, there's so much going on in this story. They're building the wall, and as they're building it, you have people that are literally like hurling insults, hurling anger. I hope you're not a brick thrower. I hope you're more of a brick layer. But, but we see in this story that, that anger and fear and the enemy starts getting them from the outside, external, but as I read on, you're gonna see in a minute that it wasn't just external forces throwing bricks. There was people within that were part of the building that began to throw them at each other. You ever seen what gossip can do? Backbiting? Oh, well, pastor, I just wanted to make sure Betty or Sue or, or you know, Georgie knew to pray for them. I wasn't gossiping. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just saying, pray a whole lot more and talk a whole lot less because the enemy has a way of using this stuff to distract, to divide. And, and here's the thing, when you begin to understand this, you realize the brilliance of what Nehemiah was doing. What was he intentional with? Nehemiah was intentional by focusing on God, having crucial conversations and setting healthy boundaries. We're just gonna leave that up for a minute. There's a clear focus on the covenant-keeping God throughout Nehemiah. 
this God that keeps promises, keeps the covenant. So Nehemiah, in the face of the intense warfare, he begins to focus on God. Some of us need to refocus on God in this season. Put him first, set aside the other stuff. Trust him more. Have crucial conversations. What does that mean? Sometimes we gotta sit down with people, not talk about them, but actually talk to them. Oh, you didn't hear that. Not talk about them, but talk to them. To have hard conversations what I'm calling crucial, Nehemiah did this. You'll, you'll see that Nehemiah engages them, he engages the people after engaging God. Later, he actually is gonna set healthy boundaries. Some of them we just heard, right? Like they're doing the work and saying, no, we're not gonna listen to you right now. We're not gonna fall into the traps. Later in Nehemiah 6, he'll literally say in verse three, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down to meet with you. What is he saying? I met with you once, I heard from you a second time, I'm not listening anymore, I have to have a boundary. Some of you need to give yourself permission to set healthy boundaries. Now if you set that boundary in anger, that's not healthy for you or them. But if you set it in love, after a crucial conversation, that frees people to begin to get healthy and God to be God. Some of you, y'all, you're just control freaks and you don't know how to let go and the boundary issue is actually yours and you don't even realize it because you just wanna keep, keep doing all the stuff. And there's God saying, no, no, I want you to focus, set some healthy boundaries. Nehemiah does it and the work continues. It continues to move forward because of how intentional he was. So what does that look like for you to, to have God first, have crucial conversations? They're not easy, but when you're prayed up, God shows up. And when you pray through it, he'll be in it. So you begin to find God in those conversations and then set new boundaries to do the things that he's called you to do. Now it goes on here. In Judah, it was said, verse 10, the strength of those who hear the burdens is failing. So now it's God's people beginning to turn on each other. It says, there is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So now they're discouraging one another. At the time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. They're literally saying, give up, come back, don't do it, to their own people. It says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Y'all, they armed up. They got, they got what they needed to protect in this situation. It says, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Say remember. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We're gonna sit in this for a minute if you're taking notes. When everything seems to be failing because everything seemed to be failing for them, 
we must follow God first to win it. As they began to turn, they, they had to be redirected by Nehemiah to putting God first. You see, the enemy, part of what he does is he tries to get us to forget who is with us and our why. If the enemy can get you to forget that God is with you, if you're a Christ follower, God is with you. His whole, he's put his Holy Spirit in you. You're not alone. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He said, everything I've called you to do, I'm going to equip you to do. I'll do it through the power of the Spirit. So you're never alone. And, and if the enemy can get us to forget who is with us, then we begin to think it's all on us, either individually or the people around us. And, and you can see here that that's happening to them. And then they were forgetting their why. Why were they doing all this? It wasn't just to build walls. It was actually to rebuild a people that would be in God's presence, the temple inside of Jerusalem, to rebuild their way of life with the Lord. They were forgetting their why. So let me ask you, have you forgot who's with you recently? Have you forgot why you're living for the Lord? Because that's something the enemy would love to do to each of us right now and to even us as a church collectively. See, if he's with us, we've got all we need. That word remember is, is key. You see, when they would have heard it, they would have said, oh yeah, because you see, this book is towards the end of the Old Testament. They had a whole lot of testimonies and stories prior to that. What are they remembering? They're remembering the God who showed up for a man named Joseph and saved a nation through a wicked guy named Pharaoh. They're, they're remembering Exodus and, and the fact that God actually in Exodus 14 says, be still and I will fight for you. And he parts the sea and drowns their enemies. They're, they're forgetting that in Deuteronomy 1, God says, listen, I'm with you. Be courageous. Have courage. I'll fight for you. They're forgetting that in Joshua 1, he says the same thing to that generation. That listen, be of great courage. Follow me into the promised land. I will fight for you. And every time God did it. Church, we serve a God that we need to remember. We need to remember how awesome he is, how great he is, what he's capable of. I don't know what you need, but if you'll bring it to him, he may not solve it right away. He may not solve it on your timing, but I know you can be in it to win it in those hard spaces, in those difficult places when you remember who he is and why you're doing the things you're doing. You see, throughout scripture, we see that potential setbacks become set-ups when we see them as an opportunity to go deeper with God and with others. That the things that the enemy was throwing at Nehemiah and the people became set-ups that drew them closer to God, closer to each other, so that they could fulfill his great plans. If that isn't our strategy, when things get tough, we will fail. But if we understand that in the middle of the mess, 
Because let's be honest, life happens, right? Life happens. Some of you know that life has been happening to my family over the last couple of weeks. And I don't bring this up for any other reason than to let you know that as life has happened to our family over the last couple of weeks, I'll just give you the cliff notes. Uh, Three kids with the flu. My mother had a stroke event. My dad had a scheduled knee replacement. My grandmother fell and fractured her elbow. My son hit an animal early in the morning. So his, that was the easiest one. Like his front bumper smiles right now. And he's going to keep grinning for a very long time. <laughs> but as all of these things have happened, right? I've had to step into that and my family has had to step into it. But you know what? As I've cared for my parents over the last couple of weeks, it's actually been a gift that I didn't expect. I didn't know I could do it, y'all. I'm doing meals and meds rotations. I'm doing schedule. I'm doing all this stuff. I wasn't ever that guy. I was the guy that showed up at the end in your hospital visits. Like, they're like, hey, come pray with this person. And, right? And so God's doing something in me and through this season. But it isn't me, it's God. And I gotta tell you, it's this church. Because the amount of prayer, the amount of encouragement, the amount of meals that have come forward, practical helps that have come forward, and it hasn't just been for our family. We've seen you doing this for other families. Even last night till midnight, some of you were at ER with a family in need providing support last night. You see, when life happens, if your tendency is to say, I'm gonna get through it, I think God's saying, no, 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 I want you to get through it, but for you to win, you gotta invite me in and you gotta invite others in. And as you do that, humbly and transparently, I'm really gonna show you what winning looks like. I wanna give you a quick framework uh, that hopefully will help you. It's helped me this week. I'm gonna go back here to the blackboard for a minute. And I just wanna show you this. It's in the Renovate and Radiate booklet for this week. So if you go to there, you'll see this. It's the ABC zones of life. You see, we, we all are gonna face things. And we've got our A zone. Can you see that on the screen? Say yes, if so. Okay, we've got our B zone. And we've got the C zone. And these three zones throughout scripture and throughout our practical experience, we experience things that in this one, it's, it's when you know, we've got the big dream. Everything's new, it's exciting, right? It's the new relationship, the new job, the new community, the new church. And, and we get really excited. And, and we think we're winning because we can see all the good and where we're headed. And, and we're, we, we kind of fixate on this idea that I'll call over here uh, success. We'll call it biblically the promised land, right? This is arrival. This is the place we all want to be. Can I get an amen? And, and, and what happens is we're here and, and then we want to be over here, but we don't realize like, y'all, life happens. Did you hear me a minute ago? Like life happens. Nehemiah has life happening to him. 
And there's a decision they have to make to keep going because in this space, when life happens and we face difficulties, some of those, like, let me just tell you, the devil isn't behind every dumpster, okay? We don't need to blame it all on the enemy. Some of it's just life. But there's also sometimes an intensity behind things that is what the enemy is trying to do. Does that make sense? So in there, there is warfare and things that will happen, an enemy that's trying to get to us. And and we want to be here and we love this season, but it's actually in the B zone where maybe things even go down and get more difficult. That V there is because I believe that's the space we're supposed to be worshiping. The space that we're supposed to be letting go and saying, God, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you. God, I don't know what is happening. I can't understand this, but I'm going to trust you to grow my character, to develop me. You can grieve in that space. You can lament in that space. Y'all, I've yelled a little in the last two weeks. (gasps) I've cried a little in the last two weeks. I've cried today. I was actually praying, God, am I going to get through this message? I've laughed in the last couple weeks. All of the emotions come in submission to my worship of God and saying, God, here I am. I don't get it. I don't know what you're up to, but I'm going to trust you. So, so here's why this B zone matters so much. Because for many of us, just like the people of Israel who forsake God and fall away, we tend to live life like this. It's a spiral of giving up, of quitting, of forgetting to stay focused, forgetting to rebuild, forgetting to renovate, forgetting to trust God. And so some of us will live our whole life never experiencing the real transformation of God that will often happen in some of life's most difficult spaces. And that's what we see in Nehemiah. That's what we see with him is how he's, God's working through all of that. To lighten it up for just a minute, I gotta share this story with you. A couple months ago, we went fishing with somebody in the church, my son, my daughter. We're out on the boat, we're out fishing. And uh, y'all, we, we're learning to fish in Florida. We're enjoying it, it's fun. I wouldn't say my family are actually that good yet. In fact, uh, between one of the three family members, we lost a fishing rod into, into the water that day. So just, just owning my stuff, right? I won't tell you which family member, but it wasn't me. Um, so, so that rod gets lost and our boat captain and fishing guide You know, in a small way, because sometimes it's big warfare in B-zones. Sometimes it's just little tests. I believe this was a little test because, I mean, let's be honest, a couple hundred dollar rod goes under the water, right? (laughs) You still love Jesus in that moment? And I'll tell you what, this, this gentleman did. And he handled it so beautifully and so well with my family. It was almost as if he had been through a B-zone or a moment before and he knew that what what this meant was God was gonna set him up for something else. So last Sunday, I'm here. He comes, shows me a picture of the first catch on the new fishing rod. And I gotta show you this fish. Y'all, they don't play. 
He said it was the very first sailfish they had ever caught. Very first. It came out of a bee zone. Might have been a little bee zone. But y'all, some of those little bee zones, y'all are failing the test. You're not looking to God to transform you. And he's like, man, I got a sailfish for you, but you just keep quitting and freaking out and acting like a fool. I'm saying all the things today. So let, let's bring this to a place of response, right? I'm gonna move us to a place of response because Nehemiah, towards the end, the people are rebuilding. They're picking up actually a couple of things. I just wanna tell you about it and walk you through it. They're actually, in one hand, picking up the shovel to do the work. Oh, this is gonna be fun. And in the other, they're picking up their sword and their weapon, okay? And as they do this, at the end of Nehemiah, if you could put chapter four, the last few verses up. I know I've skipped some things. I'm watching the time. Please go to the end. Not the next step questions, but the, the end of chapter four. I think it's 21 through 23. There you go. So, so you have this moment at the end of Nehemiah where throughout it, he's saying, listen, we're gonna work and we're gonna have our weapon. And, and in this tough space, we're gonna do what God has called us to do. And it was actually as I was reading this and thinking it through, that it was verse 23. Let me read it to you. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. And, and what stood out to me was this idea that scripture says we're clothed with Christ. That you and I are to put on the armor of God. That when we do that, we can stand in the adversity. We can be in it to win it. And here's the problem. Some of you, you only are picking up the Lord on Sunday morning. Oh, I said it. And then you're walking out into a world against an enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is saying, listen, I want to clothe you with Christ. And I've got some gifts I've given you and some work to do. Are you all in? Will you do it? And when it gets hard, will you pick up the sword of the spirit? Will you pick up and put on the armor of God? Just like they did in the book of Nehemiah. If you need to read the rest of the chapter, please do. Because I think in this moment, it's pretty clear what God is calling us to. I promise not to use the sword on you. I feel so cool though. So what is it that God's saying, listen, I need you to stay faithful and keep working. I need you to trust me. And what is it that he's saying, listen, I wanna clothe you with Christ and I want you to put on the armor of God so that you can stand. And when those fiery darts of the enemy come, when, when things come against you, right, the sword of the spirit, you know how to respond with the word of God. To stay the course and to remember that he, our God, will ultimately be the one fighting for us. So a few next step questions. First, are you surrendering to the enemy right now or Jesus? 
You're surrendering to one or the other. And we don't like to talk about that or admit it. But if you're not surrendering to Jesus, you're surrendering to the enemy. Secondly, will you look for God at work in your difficulties, in your B zone? Will you look for him and say, God, I'm going to find you and I'm going to join you. This wasn't my plan. This isn't what I thought needed to happen. But I'm going to let go and I'm going to look for you and I'm going to join you in what you're actually doing. Nehemiah did it. They did it. Number three, will you take your sword and shovel, right? And be a part of his vision for pathway. Part of what he's calling us to as a body and as a church. I want to read to you Ephesians 6 in a minute and lead us into a time of responding. As I've been praying and preparing for this message, I'm going to just be honest with you. God, God dropped this one on me at 3 a.m. this week. And then I walked into a day of all kinds of surprises and B-zone kind of stuff. There's a lot that our team in the back right now is going, but he didn't get to that, he didn't get to that. I'm just allowing God's spirit to move right now. I've changed all kinds of things this morning. I hope that the Lord is the one you're seeing and that is showing up in this. Because here's what I know. If we find God as Nehemiah and the people did in it, you see that God, later would resurrect his son, Jesus. And when Jesus is resurrected, because he's resurrected, all things can be resurrected. And I don't know what you need resurrected today. I don't know what you've been trying to get through it in your own. God's saying, listen, if you wanna be in it to win it, find me, allow me, the resurrected Jesus, to begin touching, transforming, and resurrecting you and the situations you are facing. So here's how we're going to finish. I'm going to read Ephesians 6 over us. It's the armor of God. It's putting Christ on. It's saying in the battle, we have an abundant life and we're going to work and we're going to worship and we're going to have the sword of the spirit and the weapons of our warfare. And as we walk it out, we're going to come to the resurrected Jesus and allow him to resurrect anything. Spoiler alert, they built the walls. The people had revival. God resurrected them through it. Are you in it to win it? In Ephesians 6, if you'll stand actually, it talks about us standing. I'm gonna just read this over us and then pray into this response. In verse... 13, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, Paul says, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly, say boldly, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What work is he calling to you? What weapons do you need to take up? Will you put on the resurrected Jesus today? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we wanna invite you to come forward. I'll be up here. I would love to pray over you, pray with you. Our team, prayer partners are here. Maybe you know Jesus, but you need him to resurrect something. Don't stay in your seat. Don't just have an encounter, have a transformation. Come forward. Allow us to pray with you. Y'all, I'm at time right now, like overtime. I just gotta be honest, I don't really care. Because I love you enough to know that the biggest thing that you need right now isn't to be on time to brunch or to whatever your next thing is. It's an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So Father, we love you, we praise you. We give you our time, our clock right now to just say, Lord, have your way. Move in this place and space. Resurrect us because you're resurrected, Jesus. Equip us to be clothed in Christ, to do the work, to wield the armor of God, the sword of the spirit. We give you this space. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.